this is Madeline Smith, and you're listening to Actually Interesting History. We make history fun, accessible, and interesting by sharing the human story behind the dates we learned about in history class. As Rudyard Kipling said, if history was taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Now on with the show. Quick disclaimer, I am never explicit, but the ancient world was a brutal place. As always, please check before you share with little ones as we may come across some adult names. Thanks! Hello friends, and welcome back to Actually Interesting History. We left off with Cleopatra deciding to answer Mark Antony's summons to speak with him after he and Octavian won the Global Raiders Civil War. Now that Antony and Octavian were done fighting outside forces, the uneasy allies began splitting up the Roman holdings. Octavian took the west, and Antony took the east. Now, this is my conjecture, but I think Antony saw himself not just as the inheritor of Caesar, but also as an inheritor of Alexander the Great. Now, if you remember, we started all of these episodes so, so long ago speaking about Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great is myth now, but back then he was more than just myth. Like he had this, and when I say myth, I mean like he's larger than life. Like sometimes it's hard to remember that he was in fact a real person that lived and breathed on this earth. But to Antony, he would have been more than this like thing larger than life. He would have been a god to him. And Antony saw himself as the inheritor of, again, not just Caesar, but I think Alexander himself. He wanted to fight wars. He wanted to find glory in the way that Alexander had. So it's not surprising to me that he had his sights set eastward. Now, when I say eastward, I'm specifically speaking about Antony's plan to invade the Parthian Empire. I thought about going into more detail about this, but you know what? We're already like seven episodes in, and I think I need to cool it down with the details. So, uh, sorry guys, I just really love the story, and there's so many different things that I hadn't had time to research before, so basically I'm trying to trim down and move a little quicker. So, anyways, other than the fact that Antony definitely wanted to take up some of that glory, pick up the mantle, you will, of Alexander the Great, Additionally, he had spent time studying in Athens during his youth, and I think he felt very comfortable in Hellenistic or, you know, Greek culture of the East than he did in the very much Romanized West. And I I understand this because I feel like Antony, he was more of that, I want to say Renaissance comes to mind, but this was definitely before the Renaissance, but that idea of like the Greek philosopher, warrior, it was very much more so ingrained in the culture of Greece, whereas Roman, comparatively, seemed a little less cultured, a little less philosophical. It was more practical and more warring. And Antony very much seemed to be more of a mix of the two. Actually, while I was researching, I came across a new word, which is philhellene. I will spell it for you as uh, we have established I hilariously am bad at saying things. It's P-H-I-L-H-E-L-L-E-N-E. 
And this word means friends of all things Greek. And I think that that is an excellent word used to describe Antony. Now, in order to take these ambitions and to make Antony's crazy, wild dreams of eastward expansion come true and to make this power of reality, Antony needed resources. And who better to ask than the queen of the Nile herself, Cleopatra, who happened to be lousy with resources. I know that we had covered that Cleopatra had had some hard years there, but she still, I promise, was fabulously wealthy, and Antony definitely knew that. So in 41 BC, Cleopatra received an envoy requesting her presence at a summit with Antony. Now, supposedly, this was supposed to be Antony saying, like, hey, I just wanted to make sure you're still loyal to us because there were some questionable things that happened during that civil war that we just had, which, fair, and on paper, that was the purpose, but in reality... This was definitely something else. In 41 BC, when Cleopatra again received this envoy, she was 28 and Antony was 42. At this point, they may well have known each other for over 14 years. And if you're wondering how that's possible, remember that Antony had actually come to Egypt back when Cleopatra's dad was having some issues with that Roman soldier thing. Details, details. Anyways, they've known each other possibly for up to 14 years. Now, requesting Cleopatra to come to Antony should have given Antony the upper hand. But as William Congreve said, when establishing the strength of a woman, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And I would like to add another saying to the annals of history. God help any man who underestimates the power of a brilliant woman with virtually unlimited resources and ruthlessness bubbling underneath the surface. Not exactly as quick on the draw, but I think that is an important lesson to be learned. Now, if this was a movie, at this point in the story, I imagine a montage of servants and workers scurrying around Cleopatra, preparing her to be her most beautiful, alluring, most disarming self as she just sits or reclines. This is the story of Cleopatra, after all, in the middle of the bustle of activity. And in one of the sources that I've relied on pretty heavily, uh, it's, the it's the book Cleopatra the Great by Joanne Fletcher. She described the way that Cleopatra would have prepared herself and the way she would have dressed to meet Antony. Basically, she was saying that Cleopatra would have dressed herself in the image of Isis slash Aphrodite and wore enough jewels to remind anyone who even kind of glanced in her direction within a 300-foot radius of the access to resources she would have had. Like she said, she would have just sparkled and she would have just, you would have just known. If you would have caught a whiff of the air that she was around, she would have smelled of jewels and luxury and every expensive perfume you can think of. Cleopatra was definitely putting on a show. Fletcher actually put forward the idea that Cleopatra wore, would have worn a lot of greens and she also very much favored pearls. And she says that the reason that this appealed to Cleopatra is because this color and the jewelry reinforced a comparison between Cleopatra and Aphrodite, who again is a Greek goddess, was, but was very much associated with Isis, the Egyptian goddess. And we've gone over this in detail before, but 
Aphrodite was born from sea foam in Greek mythology, and actually in some stories, Aphrodite was born on Kythera, which is where I did my undergraduate research, so I am very much uh, <laughs> in the camp, and I have decided that that's where Aphrodite was born too. If you're asking me, you might not be asking me, but that's what I think. So anyways, Cleopatra and Antony were to meet at Tarsus, an ancient city in the middle of modern-day Turkey. Now, I'm not sure who coined the phrase, but this was the news that spread around. Word went that Aphrodite was coming to revel with Dionysus for the good of Asia. Now, I 10,000% think that this rumor was started by Cleopatra's people, and basically Cleopatra was buttering up Antony before they even met. I don't have confirmation that that's how this happened, but that's definitely what I think. And at this point, I would say we are pretty familiar with Antony's passions, and I assure you that a good revel was one of them. Also, the comparison to Dionysus was definitely on the nose, and I have no doubt that Antony was eating it up. And also, I love a nicely planned and executed PR stunt, and I assure you, nobody does PR quite like Cleopatra, our modern-day uh, PR-slash-marketing department could definitely learn a thing or two about what, what to do, how to do it from, Cleo from Cleopatra in this journey to Tarsus. First of all, Cleopatra is showing up in a golden ship. And I have to say, of all the ways to travel, I think that coming in a golden ship literally is probably the best way to say Hey, look, I have money. You just cover everything in gold. If you have to go somewhere in a ship, cover it in gold. If you have to go somewhere in a plane, cover it with gold. Nothing quite says I have money. Like just covering stuff in gold. You don't need a master's in symbolism to figure that one out, but it's worth saying. Also, I completely forgot where slash when I heard read this, but apparently she may have removed half of the people rowing the ship so that it would go slower, so it gave people more time to look at her. And I personally am loving this kind of energy. And if you thought that we were just stopping at a gold boat, are you kidding? No. We have purple sails, silver oars, flute music caressing the air, mixed with the scents of incense and other any other very expensive perfume you can think of. She was putting on a spectacle, and the spectacle was, look at me, I am what you need. You better do what I say, because if I like you, maybe I can share. And also, we have a gold canopy draped over a bed on which she was reclined with little boys that looked like the drawing of cherubs that, you know, you know, like little tiny round boys that were fanning her um, while she was just laying there on her side and i i didn't see anything that actually said it but i'm adding this visual for my own amusement i'm imagining that while all of this was going on around cleopatra she was just lying there underneath her golden canopy and all of her beautiful wonderful witty glory just looking bored kind of deadpan look on her face like this was just some regular tuesday and not very exciting at all which i mean that's not she was used to a lot of luxury, but he, this was this was definitely putting on a show. 
And I have a feeling that she was just loving it. And I have to say, her show worked. As she reached the Turkish coast and made her way up the river inland to Tarsus, people literally lined the banks and just stared. And I'm just imagining people standing there silent, open-mouthed, not saying anything, thinking, is that, is that Aphrodite? Is this a goddess? And ten points to Cleopatra. And may the spirits of all your PR team find their way to the marketing and brand teams of all those worthy of your energy. We thank you, Cleopatra, for this lesson. Now, Antony was waiting for Cleopatra in the city in his own little setup. I assure you it paled in comparison. Waiting for Cleopatra to arrive and presumably make her way to him. LOL that he thought that this was even a possibility that could happen. And what Cleopatra does next absolutely delights me and just makes the my petty heart a flutter. So at this point, people on the riverbank had managed to pick up their jaws off of the floor, close their mouths, and go follow the barge down the banks. And they started shouting and, and whistling and, you know, just being excited that Cleopatra's here. Like, oh, thank you for gracing me with your presence. And people in the city started to hear the commotion. And, well, <laughs> I kind of have, I imagine Antony, like, if he's turned looking another way, people just, like, backing out of the city square and then all of the sudden Antony's just left there and he's the only one the image of this actually I think is really funny I like have this visualized in my mind the way that this played out and then hilariously there seems to have been a standoff where Cleopatra was on her boat just chilling again she's being fanned she did she doesn't care she could be here all day she's on a boat the boat's nice and Antony was just waiting in the square, and in my head, there's a tumbleweed just floating across the empty city square, and neither one of them wanted to be the one that went to the other. And now, we're not there. And we have never actually met either of these people, but from here, over 2,000 years later through time and space, I guarantee that you already know who is winning this one. Eventually... Antony made his way down to see all the commotion and to see why people were being so loud. And I'm sure that he didn't let her see him coming to look at the boat. And I, I just like imagine him like crouching uh, down around people and then like popping his head up to take a look and then like crouching back down again, like trying to hide himself. And, and then in the most the most wonderful move of all time. Cleopatra invited Antony's people to come to a banquet that she was going to put on. Home court advantage. My behind, I'm saying that for the younger audience. Uh, basically, Cleopatra was like, nope, I don't, I don't care that I came here. I, I'm still in charge. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the energy of that, again, just delights me. And what could Antony do? Nothing. He agreed to attend. He was going to see her that night. Now, at nightfall, when Antony and his officers arrived for the banquet on board Cleopatra's ship, they were escorted into a large stateroom. In my petty mind, I'm assuming that Cleopatra at this point still hasn't set a single toe on the dirt that held Taurus out of the river and sea. I am 
positive, actually, that she hadn't yet, because why would she? Her boat is fabulous. Anyways, so now I'm assuming you already know that Cleopatra just had this room gloriously decorated. Uh, think gold, purple, silver, pearls, uh, priceless art, tapestries hanging off of any wall within sight. There were no walls because they were just covered in tapestry. Antony and a few of his officers that managed to keep their wits about them were trying not to show how impressed they were, but I assure you that they were impressed. And then Cleopatra, with a dismissive smile and a wave of her hand, said something along the lines of, Oh, these old things? You guys can just take all of that when you go. Now, at this point, anyone who had managed to keep their wits about them, I'm sure, lost them at that point. They did, during this first dinner, discuss the whole fiasco that was Cleopatra trying to help the loyalists during the Inheritors War, but she quickly was able to explain what had happened and dismiss any doubts of her allegiance to Rome, the true Rome as she saw it, the inheritors of Caesar and, no doubt, Antony. Personally, I would probably also believe someone when they were trying to convince me of their loyalty if they also gave me a bunch of extremely valuable pieces of art and, you know, what have you. Basically, I'm not surprised that this conversation went this way. I have a hard time seeing it in any, for any reason, going otherwise. The next night, Cleopatra had them come back to dine again. This time, the grandeur somehow made the first night pale in comparison. On this night, each one of Antony's officers were invited to take the couch they had dined on with them. For, you know, it's yours now. I don't need it. Take it with you. That's quite a party favor. I wonder how heavy they were. It doesn't matter. They were probably strong. There you go. The next night, because three nights in a row they dined with Cleopatra, I can promise you that she still has not set a pinky toe on the dirt of Tarsus. So she has the dining room filled with rose puzzles, several feet in height, you know, just, just a, think a ball pit, but instead of gross balls and who knows what germs are in there rose petals and only after this did she accept an invitation from antony to join him on land for dinner so antony and i have to give it to him here knew when he was beaten it's a good quality to have apparently during this dinner he was the first one to make a joke about how first of all decoration skills nothing compared to cleopatra's and honestly whose was and then he was also the first person to make a joke basically saying, like, yeah, we look poor compared to you, but not just money poor. You know, we're very well-educated Romans. And Antony himself had studied in, Ant in Athens, but Cleopatra definitely out-educated all of them. However, Cleopatra was a lady, and in the words of Emily Post, the mark of a true lady is to make those around her feel comfortable. And if you are currently admiring my ability to reference Emily Post in the middle of an ancient Mediterranean arc, thank you. I often feel my talents are wasted. So Cleopatra is definitely getting these guys on her side. She's showing Antony that she had the resources to help him against Parthia. But what was her ultimate goal here? Well, Cleopatra knew that Rome probably wasn't going to go away. She didn't know Octavian, and Antony was someone who I'm sure she thought she could use and understand, and then ultimately work with. 
Now, without Caesar in the picture, she needed someone that was going to protect her and her interest in Rome. And I'm sure that she thought Antony was the perfect person for this. First thing she wanted Antony to do in her interest? Well, Cleopatra had one last living sibling who was starting to cause some problems. Now, last we saw Arsinoe, she was in Rome in golden chains being paraded during Caesar's triumph. After this, the Roman people had taken pity on her and Caesar had had her exiled. We then heard about Arsinoe when she might have been causing problems and been the reason that some of those ship-slash-troops ended up in the wrong place during the Liberator Civil War. Well, apparently, Arsinoe, exiled in a temple, was claiming to be the true queen of Egypt. Now, anyone who was getting tired of Cleopatra could theoretically go grab her sister and make her a rival, which meant that an alive Arsinoe was just not a threat Cleopatra wanted to deal with. And now Cleopatra wasn't just thinking about herself, she was also thinking about her young son. She also put forward the theory to Antony and said that it probably was Arsinoe who had been meddling and resulted in again things not going the way that they should have during the Liberator Silver War. And that was all the excuse Antony needed, and he quickly had Arsinoe put to death in the temple she was hiding in, no less, which was not a good look, but Antony didn't care. After Arsinoe's death, Cleopatra had now secured an Egypt with no rivals to the throne, something that hadn't occurred in Egypt for generations. Antony, while he was at it, also threw in, Hey, you know how Caesar gave you Cyprus? Well, I'm going to give you Cilicia, too. Cleopatra was pumped. This was probably even more than she had imagined she was going to be able to achieve, and I imagine that in the quiet of the night, when she was certain that no one was around, everyone was dead asleep, in the dark, in the absolute silence, she jumped up and down and did a happy dance, maybe hummed a little bit of a song like a crazy person but the most that she probably gave to antony was the pleased smile of a cat who just knocks something off the counter because that is the way i imagine that this went and the visual of that brings me a lot of joy after this by all accounts very successful trip cleopatra announced that she was heading back to alexandria and invited antony to join her in 41 BC, Cleopatra headed back to Alexandria and Antony quickly joined after taking a quick detour to eliminate a rebellion that was going on in Syria. Now with the excuse of rough seas for the winter, which made travel very dangerous, Antony spent the winter in Alexandria basically on vacation. You know Cleopatra had all of the luxuries laid out for him and him and his buddies were just having the time of their lives. They were hanging out with philosophers, because Cleopatra kept philosophers in her court, as any enlightened ruler does. There were working out sessions. Him and his guys would, like, go to the ancient equivalent of the gym in the morning. There was hunting. There was sea fishing. And Cleopatra actually joined him and did a lot of these activities with him as well, which I actually find very entertaining, the visual of this. In one humorous story from this time, Cleopatra <laughs> Cleopatra and Antony would go fishing, and Antony was apparently just, like, incredibly proud of his fishing skills. And he was so pumped about it. He loved fishing so much. He was like, 
we should make everyone come watch me fish because I'm great at it and I want everyone to see. So Cleopatra and her court humored him, but Cleopatra, who apparently has a funny sense of humor because I find this hilarious, she had some divers get in the water and follow their boat out as they went, and when Antony cast out his line, the divers put smoked fish onto the end and, like, tugged it so that Antony would say he caught something just, like, in a few few moments, and of course he did. He's Antony, and he's great at everything. So he pulls it in, and and it's smoked fish, so it's obviously, like, obviously a joke was played on him. And I'm guessing that some courtly, but also some genuine actual laughter ensued. Cleopatra reportedly said after this happened something along the lines of, leave the fish into other men. You are meant to capture cities, provinces, and kingdoms. And that's a humorous way of saying, hey, it's all fun and games, but you're supposed to be doing manly stuff too. Now, even though when Antony sent word back to Rome, he blamed it on seas, it's said that Antony really did fall in love with Cleopatra, and that's why he spent this summer with her, this summer, this winter with her. This feels like it should be a summer romance thing, I think that's why I said it, but it was a winter, it was a winter romance. He really did fall in love with Cleopatra, and that's how he spent the winter here with her in Alexandria. Now, they spent, it seems to be, a really happy time together. They would go to the theater to watch dramatic performances, both Egyptian and Greek. They played dice together. Antony loved playing games like dice and stuff like that. And by all accounts, they were pretty inseparable. Now, she had banquets in his honor, which no doubt had a ton of wine. After all, her new, Di her new boyfriend was supposed to be the new living Dionysus. After all, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, they, <laughs> they started this cl club called the Society of the Inimitable Livers. Let me spell that for you. I-N-I-M-I-T-A-B-L-E, livers. That is why I couldn't say it. It's not my fault. Anyways, and I know that you're probably thinking, like, this had to be a joke, right? Well, yeah, I'm sure they found it funny, but they also were kind of worshipping Dionysus by doing this, and Hathor, and the like. So it was religious, and not entirely all fun and games, but it definitely was still fun. And they set this club up this winter, and they all just thought it was the grandest of times and while they're having all of this fun and drinking and dicing and working out and hunting and you know whatever it is that they were doing cleopatra and antony definitely had the officers of antony rid the lands that he had just uh, granted to cleopatra of the parthian invaders as well please and thank you thank you very much so that was awesome too Nice, nice use of this time. Now, all good things must come to an end, and in the words of Lana Del Rey, nothing gold can stay. Antony had spent all of this time with Cleopatra, and it was definitely getting back to Rome. And Octavian was very smart in using any tidbit of information he could possibly get to start to undermine people's opinion of Antony. And honestly, Antony had already done a pretty good job of that anyways. He actually, and this was back during the time when Caesar was still alive, he actually had to write like a treatise like On My Own Drunkenness is basically what was titled, Defending His Actions. And even though Antony was well regarded as a man of a lot of ability, 
it also was thought that he was someone who was prone to wasting it which isn't a great isn't a great reputation to have in roman society where definitely men were thought to be virtuous maybe less fun you know we kind of talked about the juxtaposition of like greek culture which was like all of these different things and then rome that kind of seemed like to pale in comparison and i definitely think antony was someone who didn't do a good job making his roman virtue making himself seem virtuous by roman standards i think that that's what i'm trying to say in the spring of 40 BC, the governor of Syria was killed. Uh, that rebellion that Antony had put down on his way, it had risen up again and resulted in the death of the governor, so Antony needed to go deal with this problem. Cleopatra provided him with 200 ships, and supposedly these were supposed to be a repayment for the lands that he had granted her, but I'm guessing that she was just kind of like, oh yeah, here's some ships because you're my boyfriend and I'm trying to help you win power and glory because that will bring me power and glory so after antony left some months later cleopatra gave birth to twins a boy and a girl named after the moon and the sun alexander helos and cleopatra selene and both i mean to antony's credit he acknowledged that these twins were his and that is where we're going to have to leave off this week Antony and Cleopatra are apart, but I assure you they will not stay that way. Spoiler alert. So when we come back next week, we'll find out what happens next. Thank you so much. Bye.